from what I understand, anybody that I've ever talked to that has spent any amount of time dealing with sheep, there seems to be a general consensus that sheep are dumb. They are not intelligent creatures, and I have talked to very few people, if any, that have spent any amount of time working with sheep that actually like the sheep because they are so dumb and frustrating, and sometimes they stink. So it's interesting to me how often Scripture refers to us as sheep. In fact, there's a book about leadership, specifically church leadership, called They Smell Like Sheep, which people often laugh at. I think that sometimes church leaders read it because they think that it's going to fuel their cynicism and their frustration because often, as leaders, you think, okay, these people do smell like sheep. But what it is is that it's that shepherds smell like sheep because they're spending time with the sheep. And the shepherds are amongst the sheep. I say all of that to say the issue with sheep and the reason that they're typically called dumb is that because they will start feeding and grazing and before you know it, they wander off and they're lost. They, they look down. I don't know this from firsthand experience, but I have talked to people who were sheep farmers growing up, and they said if you don't pay attention to them, they put their nose to the ground and they start eating, and they just keep eating and they follow the food, and they look up and they don't know where they're at. And that's why they need a shepherd, because they will wander off lost without a shepherd. It's interesting because our culture doesn't like the term sheep either. But I would say this. I don't want to say that people are dumb, though sometimes we may feel that way. But we are to God what sheep are to us. If we look at sheep as dumb because compared to us they aren't very intelligent, then when you look at our wisdom compared to God's wisdom, there's a similar comparison. I don't think God would call us dumb, but we don't know what he knows, and his mind is beyond our mind. And so we need people to help lead us so that we don't wander off. How many times have we seen people looking for what they needed, looking for food, looking for nourishment, and they wander off because they're chasing every which way, trying to find what they need, and without a shepherd to lead them, they don't understand that what they need is God. Which is exactly why Ezekiel 34 is so relevant to us. If you missed it, we started by reading through Ezekiel 34 verses 1 through 10, which is God's, God's condemnation among to the shepherds for their lack of care for the sheep. They're feeding themselves. They're caring for themselves. They're looking out for themselves, and they don't really give care in the world to the sheep. You can read through the Old Testament time after time after time where specific leaders were condemned because they were looking out for themselves and not the interest of the sheep. They were sent there to be shepherds, but they weren't in it for the sake of the sheep. 
They were doing what they could to gain for themselves, to gain money, to gain power, to gain prestige, to gain leverage, to gain control, to gain whatever they could to get a step up for themselves rather than being there to help the sheep. In Ezekiel 34, the people of Israel are the ones that are sheep without a shepherd or like sheep without a shepherd. And so I want to pose a couple questions to you this morning. Who do we see that are like sheep without a shepherd? If you look around our world, what people do we know? What people do we see in the world around us that are like sheep without a shepherd? I would encourage you, if you have a bulletin on the back where there's a blank page for notes, and if you have something to write with, if you don't, they're in the attendance pads, to write down, who do you know? Who do you see? that is like a sheep without a shepherd. Maybe it's our entire culture that is celebrating immorality. Maybe it is a group of people that think they are working for God and they think they are doing, furthering the cause of God by killing Christians and killing people that don't adhere to their religion. Maybe it's your next door neighbor who spends every night after work in the bar trying to find fulfillment and worth in the bottom of a bottle or through broken relationships. When you think about these people that are like sheep without a shepherd and you name them, maybe you call them ISIS or homosexuals or terrorists or alcoholics or drug addicts. Maybe they're your neighbors that just got arrested for having a meth lab in their house and their children were there. What emotions, what thoughts or feelings do these shepherdless people evoke within you? Are they feelings of anger or pity, rage, revenge? When you look at these people that wander like sheep without a shepherd, what is your response? Did you catch the beginning of verse 10? Because what God says is, I am against the shepherds. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 9 today. It's uh, page 814 in the Pew Bibles if you don't have one with you or if you want to follow along there. But in Ezekiel 34, uh, th- I'm going to read to you again verse 10 because it's especially relevant to hear what God says. Actually, I'm going to back up and read verse 4 and 34 and then jump down to read verse 10. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Verse 10, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they not, may not be food for them. 
the rest of Ezekiel 34, God promises what he is going to do. And he promises that he is going to come and search and seek and rescue and feed and heal and strengthen the sheep. He also promises that he's going to judge and destroy. Both those words specifically used, that he will judge and he will destroy the shepherds. What, what thoughts or feelings or emotions are evoked within you when you look at these people that wander around our world like sheep without a shepherd? Those people that have hurt your family members as they wander looking for fulfillment and satisfaction. Let's, let's read what Jesus has to say about this in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 35 and read through verse 38. And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were helpless, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Did you see that? When Jesus sees people who are like sheep without a shepherd, what is his response? There's one word that was used. It wasn't anger. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't wrath. It was compassion. Jesus saw these people that were like sheep without a shepherd, and he had compassion on them. And then we see verses 38, or 37 and 38 that we are so familiar with. Those verses are the result of Jesus' compassion on these people that are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he says the harvest is plentiful. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the agricultural community that we find ourselves in. You can't really drive anywhere without driving through the middle of cornfields and bean fields and wheat fields. And sometimes, within the past couple of years, we've seen seasons where the yields just weren't very good. But that wasn't because the farmers didn't get out and labor and harvest what there was. It was because there was a lack to be harvested because of the weather and the rain and the, whatever those causes were, the lack of rain, the abundance of rain at wrong times that flood the, the river bottoms, there was a lack of crop to be harvested. But Jesus says that this is not so in this instant. The harvest is plentiful. The problem that we have when we look at this, when he looks at these sheep without a shepherd, the problem isn't the harvest of the sheep. The problem is there are no laborers. The workers are few. 
We see that sometimes though, right? Because we live in an agricultural community, we see when farmers have fields upon fields to get harvested. And there's this short window to get it done and the stress level goes up and up and up and up and up. And sometimes in churches that are a majority of farmers, during harvest season, guess what happens? We don't see the farmers very much because they're trying to get the harvest in. But think about the stress that would be there if to kind of combine a couple thoughts and phrases, if for our farmers, that when they had harvested 10,000 fields, they know less fields to harvest than when they first begun. Because that's what I see Jesus saying here. You can harvest year after year after year, day after day, And you can be 10 years into harvesting and there's still going to be just as much to harvest as there was when you started. And so he tells them to pray for laborers. There's plenty to be harvested. The problem is there aren't very many people willing to go do it. Maybe they wanted to hire an evangelist to take care of it for them so they could tend to their own affairs. But this is what I want us to think about, that as Christians, we should be bold in our prayers for the advancement of the gospel. As Christians, as believers, as people who claim to follow Christ and who find joy in his forgiveness and fulfillment in that nourishment that he gives us, we are to be bold in our prayers for the advancement of the gospel. I'm intrigued at the way this plays out when you see this teaching. Because what's especially interesting to me is what we see in chapter 10. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, pray for laborers. And guess what happens in chapter 10? He sends the disciples out to be laborers. The disciples were immediately the answer to their own prayers. They didn't sit in a closed room in a church building praying, God, send us somebody to be an evangelist. Send us somebody that can reach our neighbors. Put somebody in my child's life so they can come to know you. What they realized that they were the ones that were to be the laborers. They were the ones that were supposed to reach their children with the gospel. They were the ones that were supposed to reach the terrorists with the gospel. Don't believe me? Go read Acts. You remember that guy named Saul of Tarsus? He was killing Christians. He was like a sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus had compassion on him. And he became a shepherd. Apart from that compassion that Jesus had on him, we wouldn't have a large portion of what we call the New Testament. I wonder what we would do if, like Ananias, Jesus called us to go speak to somebody that was actively killing Christians.
We are to pray for laborers for the harvest. We are to be bold in our prayers for the advancement of the gospel. But we need to realize that most of the time we are the answer to that prayer. I think one of the struggles that we have in Christian churches, churches of Christ, is that for so long the minister was called the minister slash evangelist. Evangelism is not the job of a staff person. Evangelism is the call on your life as a Christian. Jesus didn't say ministers are to go into all the world and make disciples. He said you are to go into all the world and make disciples. That includes ministers, but it also includes you. And so as I was listening to some music last night, this hymn came on, and I was intrigued because I was thinking about these thoughts on ministry and evangelism. It's a hymn that you know well. I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus in his glory, of Jesus in his love. I love to tell the story because I know tis true. It satisfies my longings as nothing else can do. I love to tell the story more wonderful it seems than all the golden fancies of all our golden dreams. I love to tell the story it did so much for me. And that is just the reason I love to tell it now to thee. I love to tell the story, tis pleasant to repeat, which when, seem, when seems each time I tell it more wonderfully sweet. I love to tell the story, for some have never heard the message of salvation from God's own holy word. I love to tell the story, for those who know it best seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And when in scenes of glory I sing the new, new song, t'will be the old, old story that I have loved so long. And as I was listening to that song, I wondered, do we really love to tell the story? Does that story really satisfy our longings? Because that's not what I see when I look at the church and our culture. I don't hear conversation after conversation of, of, after conversation of people who love to tell the story. And when you look at the families, like spending years in youth ministry and working with students, students that were pushing away from Christ and his bride of the church because they watched their parents who claimed to follow Christ spend all of their time at work trying to fulfill their every longing. Does money fulfill your longings or does the story really fulfill your longings? Does the message really fulfill your longings? A couple weeks ago, I was in Duluth, Minnesota, around mile three or mile four, somewhere in there. I wasn't feeling dead yet, so it was fairly early. And a lady came running up from behind me passing me, and she said, I'm trying to read your tattoo. What does it say? And I said, it says, like father, like son. And she said, is that about your earthly father or your heavenly father? And I said, yes. And she's like, that's really cool. And she kept running. Bye, 80-year-old lady. But I have a feeling 
that that's somebody that loves to tell the story because she was looking for every opportunity that she could to tell that story. I wonder, do we seek opportunities like that or do we just hope that people won't bother us and talk to us? I I had a friend in Bible college who refused to put a Jesus fish on his car. Now, I'm not saying that that's the best method of evangelism, bumper stickers and such. But he didn't do it because he didn't want people to know he was a Christian when he cut him off and flipped him off and didn't act like a Christian. But I wonder, do we love to tell the story or do we hope that people most of the time don't know we're Christians so we can act as we want? We are to pray for our ministry. That is what we're looking at this morning. We are to be a house of prayer and one of the things that we need to pray for is ministry. And as I promised last week, we are going to be practical in this. So I'm going to give you a moment to pray a few different times. One of the things that we need to be praying for as we pray for ministry is to pray for the general services as a whole. Sunday morning, Bible study, youth group, those things that we do for those who are Christians. Sunday morning is not outreach time. Sunday morning is a time for us to be nourished so that we can go be shepherds. And so pray for general ministry. Pray that our ministry activities like Sunday morning and Bible study and youth group will help people grow deeper. It'll help them mature in their relationship to Christ. Can you go to the next slide, please? Sorry. If you want to look up scriptures to pray, Colossians 1, 28 through 29, where Paul says that they have labored and toiled for their maturity so that the, the church could be presented above reproach before God. And, and then in Hebrews chapter 10, it's written, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Spend a few moments praying that God would do just that through our ministries to those who are already believers. Father, I thank you for your love for us. I pray that as we get together during the week and during Sunday mornings and for Bible study and as we see each other through the week, that we would continue to proclaim Christ and that we would warn each other and teach each other with wisdom so that we can all be presented standing mature in Christ when he returns. 
May we, like Paul, toil and struggle with all your energy that you work within us toward that end. Be glorified in our lives. May we help each other and may we encourage each other. Amen. As Jesus said in Matthew 9, we need to be praying for laborers. If we are going to boldly pray for the advancement of the gospel, part of what we need to do is pray for laborers. But I would remind you of what 2 Corinthians 5 says, which says that we, we are ambassadors for Christ, ministers of reconciliation. Not ministers are ministers of reconciliation. We, the body of Christ, are ministers of reconciliation. Spend a few moments praying that God would send laborers to the harvest. Lord, I pray that you would prepare people to work the harvest that you have prepared. That there would be people that understand that part of their role in life is to plant seeds and others is to help water those and you cause the growth and we help bring in the harvest. I pray that you would help us to understand as we pray for workers for the harvest that we are the answer to that prayer. Show us those people in our lives that you have called us to reach with your gospel, with your message of reconciliation and hope. Amen. We, we should probably also pray for our witness and our communication, our proclamation of the gospel. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I, I think that no prayer for the advancement of the gospel is complete apart from us praying that our witness would remain firm and that it would be true and that we would have the words to speak when those opportunities present themselves. Spend a little time praying about that. Lord, you know how much I am bothered by the idea that the greatest single cause of atheism is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. I pray that as we pray for the advancement of the gospel, as we prepare our minds 
to share your love with others, that we would not live in a way where our witness hinders our message, but that when people look at us and when they see us, that our witness would be our message. I pray that we would have the words that we need when you give us opportunity and that we would always be ready to explain the hope that we have when people ask because they see it evidenced in our lives. Amen. The last thing I want to encourage us to pray for, this is especially relevant today as you see the VBS set behind me. Tomorrow VBS starts. In less than a month is our at the park worship service in Perrysville where we're going to give out 125 backpacks filled with school supplies to students that need them. And we're going to give a free meal and send out around 1,500 postcards inviting people to come join us. And then shortly after that, family night is going to start back up, which is quite possibly and quite probably, if I were to guess, the single most, single biggest time that we have where people that don't normally come into this building and hear us love them and share with them the message of Christ do that. And so I think that it's really important for us to pray for the soil Uh, Thinking of the parable of the soils, the seed is the gospel, and that never changes. Sometimes we get in the way and we get it all mixed up, which is why we pray for our witness and we pray for our proclamation of the gospel. But we need to pray for that soil, pray for those lives that are going to have an opportunity to hear that gospel through these ministry activities that we have. And I would encourage you not just to do this now, but over the next month and a half as we go through these activities and we lead up to the other activities, to continue to pray that those activities would bear fruit, those ministries would reach people. Because that's our goal. We want to meet needs with backpacks, but we also know that that opens the door for us to meet other needs as well. Take a few moments and pray for these. God, it is so exciting to me to think about the number of people that will have the opportunity to hear about your love and your grace and your forgiveness through VBS and throughout the park and at family night. And I pray that you would prepare them, that you would be preparing the soil so that as we sow seeds that it can take root. I pray that you would work in their lives And that we would be loving, that they would see your love reflected to us. As we do that, Lord, I pray that if we aren't able to love with your love, that we would stay home that day. So that we don't get in the way of what you want to do in the lives of those children and those people that you love so much that you let your son die for them. Let them see your love through us because of Christ. It's in his name we pray.
I've got to tell you, VBS is super exciting to me because, I meant to say this before, but I know a guy who's in ministry. He grew up in South Africa as the son of a missionary. The only reason his parents became Christians was because his older brother went to VBS. In fact, his parents, at least his dad, was a musician who played with the likes of Johnny Cash and those that Johnny toured with and lived that lifestyle with them. Uh, But one year, they sent their son to VBS, and he came home just overjoyed about this love that he heard about while he was at this church for VBS. And, And he had accepted Christ, and he led his parents. Because he went to VBS, he led his parents to Christ, who walked away from the lifestyle they were living and uprooted their family, went to Bible college, and then moved to Africa to be missionaries. They continued their faith as the son that led them to Christ, ended up drowning tragically in a pool, swimming one day. And now that is being passed on to one of their sons who is a minister as well. That is why I get excited about things like VBS and the idea that maybe they spill something on the carpet or they run into a wall with their head because they're crazy kids and they're hyped up on Kool-Aid doesn't bother me because we can patch those things. If we have the opportunity to share the love of Christ with the child. We should be bold in our prayers for the advancement of the gospel. And we need to live in a way that matches that. We need to talk in a way that matches that. Shortly after I was listening to and reading through the lyrics of... I love to tell the story. I flipped a few pages back because the hymnals are organized by themes, if you didn't know that. And there was a, I would call it a hymn, some of you would call it contemporary, written by Bill Gaither. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Get all excited, go tell everybody that Jesus Christ is king. Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. You talk about people, you talk about things that really aren't important at all. You talk about weather, you talk about problems we have here at home and abroad. But friend, I'm excited about a solution for the world. I'm going to shout and sing, Jesus Christ is still the king of kings. And I wonder, are we excited? When we look at the conversations we have, are we excited that Jesus is still the king of kings or do we talk about people? Do we talk about money? Do we talk about things that don't matter? And the answer to that scares me when I listen to the conversations that I hear. Because I hear us talk about solutions in the political arena more than I hear us talk about the solution of Christ. You will never find the answer in a politician. Ever. If you want, you can try to hold your breath until you find a savior on Capitol Hill, but I wouldn't recommend it. Jesus is the one who is the king of kings. Jesus is the one who we are supremely aligned to. Our allegiance to him is above all other allegiances. Even above our patriotic allegiances.
love to tell the story or do we just want to convince ourselves that we do? When we look at the things that we labor for, that we spend our time and our energy working for, are we excited about furthering God's kingdom or are we excited about furthering our own? Because as we are bold in our prayers for the advancement of the gospel, we better be living our lives in a way that supports that. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you that we do have hope in the King of Kings. I pray that we would be excited about that. We get excited when our politician wins and we get excited when rulings go our way and we get depressed when they go against us and when the opponent wins. And we forget that all of that in the big picture doesn't really matter because Jesus is the King of Kings and you tell us through your word that all people who are in authority were put there by you. The George Bushes, the Barack Obamas, the Bill Clintons, the Saddam Husseins, all authority has been put there by you to carry out your purposes. And that is beyond us when we look at the evil that is done by some people. But we also understand that they are sheep without a shepherd. May we pray bold prayers for the advancement of the gospel that people that are doing evil would come to know you and to know your son. And that like Saul of Tarsus, they would become ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors for Christ. Those are the bold prayers we are to pray. Not that we win the lottery or that our candidate wins. But that everybody would find their hope and their worth and their meaning in you and your son. But it's got to start with us finding our hope and our worth and our meaning in you and your son. So we thank you that you have come to heal and to forgive and to restore and to strengthen. I pray that we would be shepherds to those who you have sent us to. And that through us, they would see your love and your grace. Through the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit living in us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.